Good to see you all again. Uh, the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been away on vacation, and one of the things that we did on vacation, uh, uh, Dave Herring, who's the chairman of our elder board here, and myself, we rode motorcycles. We rode motorcycles, and it was a 4,900-mile journey, up one, uh, 101, uh, up through uh, Vancouver Island, then the ferry over to Vancouver, the city, and then over to Lake Louise and Banff and Calgary, and then down through Idaho, Utah, and uh, uh, Yosemite and uh, finally back home. So about 500 miles a day, and uh, I don't recommend that uh, to anybody for any reason at all, but it was a great and thrilling ride. Uh, One of the things that happened when we were in Calgary, uh, which is uh, kind of a regular old uh, farm cow town up there, and uh, in downtown area, I got lost. I got separated from Dave. Dave had the motel uh, address, and I had the GPS, the route on his uh, motorcycle, and I didn't have any of that information. So he took an off-ramp that I didn't know he was going to take, and so I lost him. So I had to ride off and try to come back and try to catch up to him on that off-ramp and couldn't find him anywhere. And the challenge was this. I didn't even think about this. When, I, when you cross over the border in Canada, instantly your cell phone stops working. And so they don't like American cell phones up there. And so I couldn't use my cell phone. I couldn't call him. I had no internet. Uh, I had no texting. I had nothing. And so my cell phone was completely worthless there in Calgary. And I couldn't find the address for the motel. I didn't know where I was. And was, I, was I one mile from the motel? Was I 10 miles from the motel? So it's that kind of an empty feeling where you have no one to look to. And as you're driving down downtown Calgary uh, late in the evening as uh, I was there, uh, there's nobody there. I mean, there's a couple of homeless people and some woman that looked sort of like a prostitute, and uh, they weren't going to be of much help to me, I didn't think, and so I didn't bother there. And so I was looking for a place to go. Is there a Wi-Fi area, a Starbucks? I was looking for something like that where I could just get at least a Wi-Fi and get, pull up the address. So there was nothing. And uh, then I came to a stoplight, and there was no traffic except there was this one guy, uh, a young guy, and he's had to be in his 20s, and he's on a sport bike. And so I pulled up next to him, and I yelled because he had the full-face helmet on. I yelled at him, can I use your cell phone to look something up on the Internet? And I thought for sure he would help out. He says, what? Because he didn't expect to see some old guy in a Harley pull up next to him. And so I told him, asked him again. He said, hey, so we pulled off to the side of the road. He took off his helmet and uh, opened up his cell phone and uh, put in Comfort Inn where we were staying because they have good breakfast the next morning. And uh, that's why we stayed in the Comfort Inn. I have, a little, I have a little app on my phone, Choice Hotels, if you ever want a good hotel. Comfort Inn, they're all the same, so you know what to get. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, eggs in a bag that they boil, but boy, you put a little salt and pepper on there and they're, they're really good when you're hungry, when you're really, really hungry. And so, uh, so we had that kind of a place in Calgary to, to find. So he was, I have navigation on my bike, and I didn't know how to work it. I've never worked it. And so he tried. He got on there. Oh, let me go. Boom, 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 boom. And he did it all and then looked it up on himself. Oh, yeah, go this way, this way, there. You're, in fact, you're right on the way. It's just a few miles down the road. So he really helped me out. So he's a good guy. He says, yeah, I was just down in Orange County. So we had a nice little visit there. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, here is my point. Why do I say all this? Uh, Well, number one, now it's a business write-off because I shared it with you. But uh, (laughs) secondly, uh, because 
he and I have nothing in common. He's a millennial. He's a hipster guy. I'm an old guy. And I almost qualify as elderly. And so we've got those differences, and we have different tastes, different interests, and on all those kind of things going on. And, uh, but the reason I went to him and the reason he listened to me is probably this. We had common ground. What was the common ground? Motorcycles. Motorcyclists are a community. You have immediately connected to someone who has a motorcycle. There's something that puts aside all other differences because that's the thing that brings you together. When you're riding down the road, for example, on a motorcycle, and a motorcycle is coming this way and you're going that way, you always go like this. Everybody gives the big sign. I don't know why we do that. I'll never see that person again, but that's what you do. And if the, there's a cop that you just passed who's a speed trap, and uh, you let the other guys know, like I did it just yesterday, because there was a speed trap cop over there near Cook's Corner. So you go like this, and that lets them know, slow down, watch, there's a cop out there. I actually had a CHP motor officer coming my way, and I was going towards him, and he gave me one of these things. <laughs> he did. I thought that's Santiago Canyon Road, and they'll have little speed traps out there. So here's a cop warning me about his fellow cops, and sure enough, there was a speed trap there. And so whoever that guy was, uh, praise God for him. And uh, so you have these communities. There's a community of motorcyclists. We all connect with one another. And that brings me to the message of today, common ground. While motorcycles are the common ground for a lot of us who ride them, for you and me here at Calvary Church, we have common ground, and it's called Jesus Christ. He is the one that unites us together. Without Jesus, you and I would not know each other. We most likely would not be in this building right now. So Jesus Christ is our common ground, and I want us to have common ground as we go through this series that's coming up this uh, couple, the next couple of months. There's some powerful topics and significant areas of opinion that you may have on some of these things. And I want us to engage in a way today that helps us to look at the issues and the people that may be different than us, that we might not feel a good connection to. I want us to see them through the lens and the eyes of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at John chapter 4. I'm going to go to that in just a moment. But I want to show you this picture that went viral this last week. Maybe you saw it. Uh, it's just amazing. On the right-hand side, the young little boy there, 11-year-old, fifth grader, I think he is, the red hair, uh, that's Bo, Bo Pesky. Across the table from him is Travis Rudolph. He's a, a wide receiver for Florida State Seminoles, the football team. And uh, praise God, college football started yesterday. But aside from that, uh, here they are sitting at lunch table this last week. And normally, newspapers aren't writing big articles about the school lunchroom and who's eating. But this one was unique. Because the Florida State players came onto the campus of the school where Bo goes to school and all of the other kids that age as well. Uh, they came into the lunchroom and they were going to gather together and have lunch with the kids. So Travis comes into the lunchroom and he sees Bo sitting all by himself. So Travis goes over to Bo and says, Bo, do you mind if I sit down next to you and have lunch with you? And Bo says, yeah, I'd love to have you come and have lunch with me. So they had a great lunch together. Now Bo's mother remarked about this afterwards and she posted this on Instagram and Bo's mother said that was one of the days 
whereas the mom, I didn't have to worry about Bo having lunch all by himself with no friends. And I tell you what, as a parent who watched our girls go through school and had days like that, I tell you what, it hits you in the gut when you think about your kids being isolated or alienated because of there's something different. Now, Bo, he has autism, so the other kids don't always relate well to him or maybe he to, him, to them. So often she would have that struggle about who's watching out for my son, who are his friends. And the next day after this picture was uh, put on the news, Bo was sitting at a table of a bunch of girls, and they're all clapping for him and applauding him. So he became kind of the star of the, of the show. But the beautiful thing is that Travis went out of his way to see someone that others ignored and he said, I will engage with. That others saw maybe as a bit of an outcast because of some disability, but Travis went out of his way to connect to and love and signed his lunch pail, autographed it with his name, and Bo is so proud of that lunch pail with Travis Rudolph's autograph on it. And what I love about this image is that there was a divide that was bridged out of love. Certainly, the whole idea of this star football player having lunch with this 11-year-old is a great story all by itself. But, you know, I love this picture as well because it speaks to some of the things we're going to be talking about this next couple of months. And what was not encapsulated in this story, I look at this image and think about the stories we're going to be talking about this next couple of months as I see there's a bridge between the races. There's a bridge between ages. There's a bridge between social standing in the community terms of educational experience. There's a lot of bridges that took place that could have been a divide but were not because it was overcome by a simple act of kindness and love. And that's Jesus. That's what Jesus invites us into. John chapter 4 is the story of bridging a great divide where there seemingly is no common ground but there is a bridge that is built. I want to read from John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or the Bibles in the chair rack, I encourage you to take a look. It's a familiar story to many of us, but I love this story about Christ. And it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, uh, although Jesus was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea in the southern part of Israel, and he went again into Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being wearied, he was a human being, although God, so he had tiredness, he had thirst in his journey. He was sitting there by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is noon. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And he goes on to teach about he is the living water, And he wants to provide for her 
according to her needs. We'll break that down, but let me begin this way. In John chapter 4, we see this great little line in John 4, 4. He had to pass through Samaria. That's unique because that's not the normal route that a Jewish rabbi would want to take as he heads north. Those who are deeply committed in an orthodox way to the Jewish system of religion and the practices and the traditions, they would not go through there. Here is a map of Israel. There were two paths or two ways essentially to get up to the northern part called Galilee. Typically what they would do, the Jewish, the Orthodox Jews, they would go the roundabout way. They would go off to the right-hand side and then work their way up. They would not pass through Samaria. Now what's unique about Jesus is that he says, I had to go through Samaria. He had to in the sense that God divinely had an appointment for him. And it's this woman at this well that Jesus wanted to see. So he did the unthinkable thing, that is to go through Samaria. Why would it be unthinkable for a Jew to go through Samaria, to go to Sychar? Their father, Jacob, whose name Israel is the name of Israel, why would they not want to be in that area? Well, if you go back in history, here's a little historical lesson. Way back in 722 B.C., Assyria, which is Iran, Iraq, they were in power and they came and destroyed the ten northern tribes of Israel. And they were known as Israel, whereas the southern part was in Judah. So the ten northern tribes were destroyed. They fell as a nation. The Assyrians began to move into that region of the land that then became known as Samaria. And the Assyrian men married the Jewish women. And when these two married together, then they had children who were offspring that were half Gentile and half Jew. Well, to the Orthodox Jew, that's unthinkable that you would intermarry and that you would be with these filthy, dirty Gentiles. And so the Samaritans became repugnant to those Orthodox committed Jews. They would never think of going through Samaria, let alone sitting down and talking to a Samaritan woman. And that's what Jesus did. And there was a lot of bad history. We'll go through it. Here are some of the differences that Jesus had to overcome to simply have a cup of water with a Samaritan woman. For example, there are differences in race. She, he's Jewish, she's Samaritan, half Gentile, half Jew. Well, when we go through these next couple of months, one of the Sundays, we're going to deal with race. We have invited, and he has accepted, an African-American pastor to come and speak to us. He comes out of our tradition. He understands who we are. He believes what we believe. But he comes out of a culture and a history of his own past that is probably significantly different than certainly for me and a lot of us. I want to learn from him. I want to understand from him. As we hear and we see the headlines and we see all the race stuff that's going on in our country today, as a believer, I want to learn from a brother in Christ. How can I better understand the divide and find common ground? As we go through this series, we're going to also have this thing of gender. Jewish man, Jesus, Samaritan woman coming together. How can we bridge that divide of gender differences? Sexuality. Jesus is holy. What we didn't get to in the text is that Jesus finally confronts her, and she's had five-plus men in her life. She's some, either some sort of a sex addict or can't get marriage right, lives at, lives with other men, simply is giving herself to other men in a sexually immoral way. 
And here is Jesus, let alone being a Samaritan. Now she is sexually active in an immoral way, and Jesus is coming together with her. We're going to spend time talking about some of the issues that have to do with sex. We're going to deal with the gay agenda, gay marriage. We're having a special speaker to come in to speak to that issue who has spoken all around the country to address topics like this. Not so we can divide us, but so that we can unite us around seeing these issues through the eyes of Christ. Not that we change our convictions, but that we approach people who have issues that are different than us in ways that are Christ-honoring through the eyes of Jesus. As Jesus approached the Samaritan woman, we need to be able to approach people who are different than us, but not betray our convictions. Religious practices, Jews in Jerusalem, the Samaritans in Mount Gerizim. That's where the Samaritans would worship in Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And they wouldn't go to Jerusalem where the Jews would worship. So they had their own place of worship and it was different. It's remarked upon in the stories. You read through the story, you see that. She says, why would we have this place that is different and why would I not want to go to Jerusalem? Because the Samaritans are not accepted there. And then there was a religious historical resentment that was built up between the Jews and the Samaritans. If you read in Nehemiah, for example, the Samaritans came and attacked the Jews when they came back to rebuild the walls and then later the temple. And so you read in Nehemiah 4 about the Samaritans coming, trying to undermine the work of the Jews. And then after 400 B.C., between 400 B.C. and the time of Christ, the Jews came and destroyed the temple and the religious facilities of Mount Gerizim of of the Samaritans. So there's a lot of baggage of hate and resentment and attacks and abuse. And some of us maybe have some resentment of historical pasts, wrongs done to us or to people we know and care about. We want to bridge that divide, even as Jesus did with a Samaritan woman. And sometimes we don't want to approach people because I'm too busy. Jesus could have said that. I'm too tired. I just need a cup of water. I'll get to you later. Or maybe he's fearful, fearful that what others would say about him. The disciples would complain, Jesus, what are you doing with a Samaritan woman, let alone that she is an immoral Samaritan woman? How dare you spend time with her? The Jewish people would see the Samaritan women as always dirty and would never have any dealings with them. And sometimes we think, I'm just too uncomfortable with that person, too different than me. It could be an age thing. It could be a religious thing. It could be a sexual thing. It could be a gender thing. It could be a race thing. But I'm just not comfortable. And so we avoid. And God says, I want you to have common ground in Jesus Christ. And then sometimes we think, well, some people are just too sinful for me. I couldn't spend time with them. So we need to approach them the way Jesus approached them. Let me show you some observations, four of them, that are in the outline that you have, but also on the screen that's in front of you and behind me. We need to be willing to connect with people that society, the church, or even other believers here at Calvary Church might count as an outcast. Again, verse 9, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? So the, there is a divide there. They admit it. She knows this. She can't believe, why would a rabbi come and deal with me? You know that you would never deal with me. Now it's interesting that Jesus came and he was there. He had to go through that because this is the divine appointment. But he came to this well at noon. Most of the time, the women would come to the well at dusk when it's cooler. Why did she come at noon? Because she is an outcast amongst her own people because of the lifestyle that she is living. She she goes at noon at the hottest part of the day, and Jesus knew that. 
So he stops at noon, at the hottest part of the day, getting water from her, asking at least, because he knew she would be there. He knew all this in advance, as we will see. So it's remarkable that he would want to spend time investing in her. You know, even I struggle with some of these things. Three weeks ago, on a Sunday morning before church, I got here, or I get here early, and I was walking across the parking lot, and there was a woman walking towards me, and I was walking towards her. And as she got closer to me, I became very uncomfortable. Because she got closer to me, I realized she hardly has any clothes on. Oh, this is it's not something I normally see on Sunday morning at Calvary Church. She had long, ruffled hair that was all messy and makeup that had been obviously throughout the night somehow smeared. And then not much on top, not much on bottom. And I thought to myself, this woman looked like she's in need. And I thought to myself, do I approach her? Do I talk to her? And here's what my cowardly mind thought. What if one of you drove up and saw me engaging with her and it looked a little suspicious because she sort of had the look of someone who walks the streets at night. And I had this cowardly fear in my own heart that should you see me engaging with this woman because pastors are people too. And there's many moral failures in the pastorate. And so I avoided her. Now, after I shared that first hour, I had somebody come up to me and say, yeah, she came into the nursery later that morning looking for some clothes to wear. So I'm thankful that somehow God divinely overruled me and was trying to help her out in other ways. But we sometimes encounter people that are so different than us, so unexpectedly different than us, and we bypass them like going around Samaria. And Jesus says, well, sometimes I bring divine appointments to you, and they're uncomfortable, they're hard, they're different, but I invite you into a relationship that you otherwise would avoid. So as Jesus did not avoid it, we shouldn't either. Neither should I. Now we use wisdom and discernment as we do that. But we need to connect with people that might be different, like a Travis with a bow over a lunch table at a school. Secondly, we need to remember why we're here. We're here to offer living water as Jesus was, so we can renew people. We're not the living water. Jesus is. We bring the living water to people so they can be renewed in them. Notice in verse 14, Jesus says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is a well of water in you and me when we have him in us, and we are sharing of the overflow of Christ in us. Some of the other scriptures teach that. He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We want to have that water flow from us to people who may be different, that we might be uncomfortable with, that seem like an outcast, that I don't think that I can ever have a relationship with. God says, I want to overcome that through the flow of water in you through Christ. Isaiah 12 says, therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. We are here to carry that water, that spring of salvation. And then someday when we get to heaven, this is what is happening. The spirit and the bride says, come. Let the one who says, 
hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. In heaven, we receive that water of life. Now, Jesus is around this well, the literal water, so he can give to her the spiritual water of his life to refresh and renew her. And so we should be like that as well. I'm going to invite my uh, favorite Jewish pastor here at Calvary Church to come on up here because I'd like to refresh him with a water. This would be kind of an illustration of help you remember that when Jesus came, he asked the Samaritan woman, so I'm like the Samaritan woman, and, and would give water to this Jewish man. I'm a Gentile, so hopefully that's okay. I'm glad we have such unity between us yes. despite our religious background differences. Yes, we're, we're very, very different that way. And so uh, we're thankful for, for Matt. I appreciate all Matt does. does a great job with us. So you know that when you're hot and thirsty, as Matt is drinking from the water, of the well uh, called uh, Santa Ana Water District. <laughs> yeah, it tastes like tap, actually. It's yeah, great. there's lots of calcium in there, so you're going to get a kidney stone any, any moment now. But uh, it's great to get water like that. Now, it's refreshing. Would you all like to have a fresh cup of water as well? And one of the, one of the nice things, you, you give water to somebody like that, it's kind of, oh, thank you. You're so kind. You're so friendly. Don't you feel like I'm really kind and friendly now? Yeah. Say yes. Okay. yes. Okay. And, uh, and what we, you know, you know, while I was just thinking about this, you know, two Sundays ago, when I was gone on my motorcycle ride, uh, I got a text from somebody that said that you threw some pictures of me on the screen <laughs> and uh, made some what could be considered mockery of me and some of the things that I said about, you know, the, the head was blocking the thing and, and uh, is that, do you remember that? Yeah, you, I, I do. And we, we applaud me. your efforts in taking selfies and Instagram. Yeah. You're, you're making great strides, but Eric made me do that. Eric. Oh, so it's it Eric's, Eric. fault. So Eric's fault. I don't think he's here, so I think I'm safe in saying, okay. and he's my boss, so I just submitted to well, him. Well, I'm but, Eric's boss, so yeah, he's... Uh, yeah, it sounds like boy, you really should take that up with him. Labor Day's I, tomorrow, but he better be here tomorrow, because uh, <laughs> first thing, I need to sit down with him. But you, you did partner with him in that. You were... Totally unwillingly. Oh. But it, yes, <laughs> so, but I, I did. But you were there. I, I was there. You didn't stop it. You could have stopped it, I but you didn't stop I, it. You're right. And you continued on. I, I did. And, uh, of course, I was deeply offended when I heard about that. And uh, I cried myself to sleep at night. Uh, Dave Herring was in the bed opposite in the comfort inn. And, uh, and he probably heard me sobbing as I thought, oh, they made fun of me today. And I, I'm really hurt and offended. And and, you know, when you do things like that, it's really offensive. And, and sometimes we get really upset at people that do awful things like that that are just so troubling to my very soul uh, I have been hurt. This is not how and, we rehearse this day. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, Let's you know, get some, on with it. Come on. Some, come on. Some, <laughs> look, I've got 30 minutes left. I just started the clock right now. Uh, <laughs> and so we, we get hurt, and, and sometimes instead of, you know, giving some a fresh cup of water to renew them and refresh them like the Samaritan woman to Jesus. Sometimes we get angry with people. We judge them. We want to shame them. We want to condemn them. So instead of giving them a nice cup of water, we just go like that. <laughs> oh, look, now I got wet too. So. <laughs> And uh, so up my nose again. Thank oh, you. Really? <laughs> yeah, this two services in a row. Yeah. Well, yeah. somebody's got to clean it out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, anyways, 
That's, that's kind of offensive to you, right? What I just did there. You kind of resent me now, kind of hate me. Uh, and yet, when we treat people harshly, judging, condemning, avoiding, denying, it's like throwing water in their face. Jesus, no, I've come to give you living water that you can drink. And sometimes our words are like that. Would you like another cup of water? No? No, thank you, sir. Is that good? Okay. (laughs) You need a tissue? (laughs) Are are we even now? (laughs) Yes. Can we hug it out? Can we hug it out? Come on. Come on. (laughs) No, Matt's a good sport. I had somebody ask me after first hour, did he know that you were going to do that? And I paid him a lot to do that. So... um, So thank you, Matt. You're a good sport. But I just wanted you to remember this. And I don't know, maybe it's more me, less more me, less you. I don't know. But sometimes when our words are not like living water that refreshes and they come across as judgment, condemning, and harsh, and edgy, mean-spirited, it's like throwing water in their face as opposed to offering water to drink. I want us to be people that offers water to drink, not like throwing water in the face. So Jesus came, and he drinks in the water of life and offers us the overflow of his own life. You and I carry that out. And then we see that we must love people the way Jesus did, regardless of their life situation. This is remarkable about this this relationship. Like this woman, Jesus knew everything about her, and he still loved her so much. Notice in John 4, 16 through 19, later in the text that we didn't read yet, he said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband, but this you have said is truly. And the woman said, boy, Lord, I see you're a prophet. You got insights into me. Not many people would approach her that way. But Jesus, in his kindness, approaches her, and he deals with the reality of who she is and what she's done. Her behavior is immoral over and over and over and over again. It wasn't a slip-up or a bad mistake or one bad night. It was a lifestyle of immorality. And in this, remember this. And Jesus knew it all along. For some of us, you say, oh, boy, you know, hopeless, can't, can't deal with her, can't be around her. What would people say again? The disciples are going to see him. Oh, you know, a lot of reasons to not approach her. But he said, knowing all this, it's because you're this way. It's because you have these problems. It's because of these differences. That is the very reason for me to come to you. And that's what he does. For you and me, whatever we've done, Jesus wants to come to us. And Jesus says, whatever you know about people around you right now, whatever the relationships are, whoever you work with, go to school with, your neighbors, whatever they may be doing that you say, man, how do they do that? I can't stand that they do that. That's the very reason to go to them. It's not a reason to avoid them. And the differences that we may have, we need to bridge that. The common ground of Jesus that connects us with people that need him, that's what we need to overcome. Let me confess my own sins. Here I am with Ron Rogalski. Um, I'm the obese one on the right. <laughs> on, on the left, I should say. Sorry. Sorry, Ron. No, Ron is this amazing specimen of health. He's going to live to be 100. And he's going to look like that when he's 100. 
unfortunately, I'm going to be in heaven, so I'm not going to hang out and wait for him. But uh, he and I, a couple of years ago, well, we've done it twice now, the century ride. We did a century ride in Palm Springs and a century ride down to San Diego. And the century ride to Palm Springs is where this picture was taken two years ago. It's 100 miles. and about 80 miles, you're just thinking, why am I doing this? And so we rode the 100 miles. Well, when I got there, I was riding, I'm wearing the Biola jersey, if you can see that on the screen there. Yes. And uh, so I walked up to this guy, and we were kind of figuring out who do we you know, sign up and register. It's kind of a big deal ride. So we registered with this guy. He said, oh, you're at Biola. Yeah, yeah. I go to well, I have a, my only good friends that goes to Biola. Oh, that's neat. You know, that's a nice connection. So we thought, you know, a little bridge there. So after the ride, we come up and we go to the food sessions where they have things to nourish you and so forth. And there's this guy again. Oh, yeah, Biola. Yeah, you're, you're at the friend. I said, well, tell me about your friend. Does he go to Biola? Yeah, he attends to Biola. Oh, yeah, who, you know, who's your friend? He says, well, he's the president of the Queer Underground. I go, oh. Well, I'm on the board of trustees at Biola. And I don't know if you know about Biola or not, but that's something that's very challenging for Biola. Because the whole idea of the queer underground and their proponent of supporting gay rights and gay behavior runs counter to who Biola is. And so when he said that, and then I said what I said, I sort of felt this wall starting to go up. You know, originally, we, oh, Biola, connection, common ground. And then suddenly, I was thinking about things that he was his friend was proposing, and he was probably thinking about who I am and sort of an obstacle to their proposals. And suddenly a wall begins to go up. And I'm so admitting, in my brain, I begin to think differently now. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. And let me say this. There may be some of us in this room who when you hear things like that, a wall begins to go up. And you may be thinking to yourself, you know what, Dave? I'm beginning to think you're kind of a bigot. You're hateful. What's wrong with that? And suddenly, a wall between you and me, it's going up. Because maybe you're thinking differently about me now for what my thoughts were on that. And there may be some of us in this room who are kind of heavy into politics. And you watch the news. And you're a Hillary supporter. And you talk to somebody here, I'm a Trump supporter. And suddenly a wall begins to go up. Or a Trump supporter reaches a Hillary and there's a wall that goes up. Or maybe some of us are old. Er. <laughs> I don't want that ER on there. Older. And we look at some people who maybe could be our children or grandchildren. And we begin to think, diff- oh, they can't relate. I don't understand them. They're young, tattoos, they got piercings. I don't get them. What's going on with them? Why do they do that? And we have this kind of this divide. And a wall begins to go up. And that's wrong. Or maybe some of us are young and look at somebody like me who is older. And you reach certain conclusions before we even talk. And you think, oh, out of touch, detached, doesn't get me. I don't understand him. And we have these areas where suddenly something clicks and we begin to think differently. And what Jesus is saying is that I knew all about this woman. I knew every bad thing that she's done. I knew how she is so different than me. And that's the reason I love her so much. 
And we need to take what are these barriers, these walls where our minds begin to change the thought process and reorient them through the eyes of Jesus and see people who live and think and act differently than us that we may not agree with, but we still love them like crazy the way Jesus does, the way Jesus loved this Samaritan woman. That's our calling. That's what it means to have the living water of Jesus, that we take that cup of water, and we don't throw them in their face by judging them. We take that cup of water, and we say, we want to love you. We want to build a relationship. We want to connect. You can do that. As Jesus didn't compromise his convictions on the immorality of her lifestyle, but he still loved her. We don't need to compromise our convictions, but we bridge by loving and caring and kindness with the living water of Jesus so that we have our priority, which is to invite anyone to God's eternal kingdom through the forgiveness of Christ where the spirit and the truth of Christ, as the text goes on to talk about, is in us and through us to touch others. We bring them to Jesus with the living water. His water is what changes people, not us. We're not into behavior modification. We don't have a list of rules to do these things and then we'll love you and you can be part of Calvary Church. No. It's what Christ does to people's lives that reorients their thinking, their behavior, their attitude. He needs to change me in many ways to help me to understand how to love people that are very different. And maybe he needs to change some things in some of us in this room. So we begin to think differently about people the way Jesus approaches people. And we get rid of the old stereotypes and the cliches. And we begin to relate to people that are loving and kind. And fresh cups of water, not in the face, but for the soul. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And then this next two months, as we deal with some very difficult topics, I want you to remember, in fact, you have in the bulletin this little bookmark. And on this bookmark are all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that when you and I live out our faith, these are the things that are like living water of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that are the living water that flows through us to others so that Christ can be made known and that his love for people can be embraced. We'd like to receive communion. And this communion time can be that moment where we say, God, how or where can I grow in my ability to love people that you love so desperately? How can I grow to be a loving person the way you are, especially where there might be people where there are divides? And it could be age and race and behavior and attitudes and past grudges and resentments over things done in the past. Whatever they may be, as we saw the Samaritan-Jewish relationship, that God says, I want to overcome that now. And I want, I want the eyes and the heart of Christ to be front and center and how you live your life. So let me pray for us. We're going to have the cup and the bread passed right now and take those elements and hold them. I'll come back up and we'll take them together. But the bread, it symbolizes that living body of Jesus who got thirsty, who got tired, but never stopped loving people who need him. And the cup, it symbolizes that blood, that cleansing blood of Jesus to give us forgiveness. And as we take that cup and that bread, think about it in this way. 
Some of us in this room may identify with that Samaritan woman. We may feel a lot like her. Where I want to go to the well at noon because I don't want to be around people because if you knew what I've done and what I've said, if you knew my past, you would not want to have anything to do with me. And I've been so bad and so wrong in so many ways, I don't think God could ever love me again. And I want to let you know that if you're like the Samaritan woman who you feel shunned and ashamed and you just need to isolate and alienate yourself and from God because he could never love you for what you've done and said, think about this, that again, Jesus knew everything she had done and he loved her all the more and invited her to drink of the living water of his forgiveness. So I invite you into that even as the cup and bread are passed. Come enter into the living water of Christ. Confess it to Jesus, and he'll say, man, thank you. I loved you before, but I even love you now. So thank you. Let me pray for these things as they're about to be passed. Help us now, Father, as we come before you through communion, as we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for including stories like Jesus and the Samaritan at this water well to remind us that if we're like the Samaritan woman, you're seeking us out. You want to have a relationship. You want to love all, all, all over us. And that, Father, to be like Jesus, help us to love people the way he did. And, Lord, if there are areas of divide in our lives and our friendships and relationships, Lord, shine the light of truth on that. Help us to love those folks that maybe I've sort of avoided, but help me to love them the way you do. Grow me in that area. Strengthen me. Guide me. Empower me. Thank you for all these things, Father, as we come before you with these elements to remember your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.